Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events. We offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves. Today we have Barbie Robinson, Executive Director of Harris County Public Health. Barbie, welcome to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. Super excited to have you on and on our intro call, you told me you were a Golden State Warriors fan, which I loved. And so I actually I actually saved this for actually when we were recording, but I got the Bay Area Warrior jersey, the Curry. I know. Yeah. I was wearing this the other night when two-way Clay helped us out with a game winner. Yeah. Well, I could probably hang out with you and talk basketball the entire time. Barbie, for those in the audience who may not be familiar with you or your work, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your role at Harris County Public Health? Yeah, so I was appointed as the executive director of Harris County Public Health back in March of 2021 uh, by the Harris County uh, Commissioner's Court. I've been here in this role for approximately two and a half years. Prior to that, I was in California in Sonoma County, where I ran the health department for five years. And then concurrently, a little over a year, I also ran the housing department in recognition of the importance of housing and health care being integrated. And then prior to that, I spent 15 years at the federal level at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, overseeing the Affordable Care Act implementation, Medicaid, Children's Health Insurance, and Medicare fee-for-service programming. That is a fantastic overview and uh, and great service. I was just thinking about Carolyn Stats out, out in Sonoma County. Um, she's totally great. She's a past guest. Actually, that's the first time this leads great into my next question. Actually, into my next question leads great into the access initiative that Carolyn mentioned to me about. But she definitely said that Barbie Robinson would be the person to go deeper on. Love to hear a little bit more about that, what it is, and what you're hoping to achieve. Yeah, so ACCESS uh, stands for Accessing Coordinated Care and Empowering Self-Sufficiency, and it's a care coordination model uh, that I created in Sonoma County um, and was actually brought to Harris County. Part of the reason I'm here is to uh, replicate the implementation here in Harris County, and it's a model, it's an international care coordination model, uh, award-winning, international award-winning model um, that is being replicated across the country, in part recognizing that vulnerable populations that are intersecting with various social safety net systems or systems that address the social determinants of health are really individuals who are shared populations across those systems, but quite frankly, have a fragmented um, experience trying to navigate government and community-based programs that are designed to address their social determinants, um, their social safety net needs. And so this model um, was designed to look at populations, whether it's homeless, individuals suffering from mental health conditions, um, individuals, experiencing economic insecurity or folks that are transitioning out of the criminal justice system back into our communities. These are individuals that have needs across the system, and we need to take a holistic, integrated approach in trying to address their needs. And we fail them 
um, by just focusing on our singular service, um, trying to get someone into mental health, right? We can't really do that effectively if they're suffering from homelessness or food insecurity and to enable them to be more effective in, in utilizing those services, we need to bring them together in a holistic way. And so the core components is care coordination teams made up of frontline staff across those systems, along with enabling technology and a portfolio of services, which has led to some tremendous outcomes. So I love the holistic approach. I was curious, what's been maybe one of the one of the biggest wins that you felt from Sonoma County and in Harris County and really international? What do you think is one of the biggest wins that you're seeing with this program? As I mentioned, the reason why jurisdictions are gravitating to this model and wanting to implement it, because it's really agnostic to any one particular uh, uh, population. It's really focused on shared populations. And for example, in Sonoma County, we're able to use this model to clear the largest homeless encampment in the county's history. Sonoma County had the fourth largest homeless population for comparable geographic areas across the country. We were able to substantially move the needle on reducing homelessness within the county by utilizing this approach in a more sustainable, permanent way. And here in Harris County, we've used it with our violence prevention population, and it's not enough to disrupt or prevent a singular incident of violence in the community, but how do we change people's life trajectory and get them onto the appropriate glide path to a better life? And so this program for the violence prevention work, it's paid for itself by disrupting 25 incidents of violence within the community and really has transformed people's lives. And for me, having been a government official my entire career, it's really great to have the feedback about how we've normalized the experience of government programming. Yeah, I think you have a just a fantastic background, especially going from the federal all the way to the county and city level really being able to see the impact. I want to tie it a little bit to the technology front. Uh, and I was curious around the role that technology has played in the access initiative, especially specifically addressing the black maternal and infant mortality that we were talking about um, offline on our intro call. Yeah, so this is really black maternal and black infant mortality rates here in Harris County is alarming and it's a completely preventable public health crisis that we're experiencing here in Harris County. Black infants are three times more likely to die compared to white infants. Black birthing persons are three times more likely to die than the next highest group, which is Hispanic women or Hispanic birthing persons. And this is really a tragedy when we think about the fact for decades, we you know, I live in Harris County, which is home to the largest medical center in the country. And the fact that we have these alarming statistics, regardless of socioeconomic status, really is a clarion call for us to step in and to really address this particular issue. Uh, there's a staggering statistic that if Harris County, Wayne County, which is Detroit, Michigan area, and Cook County, which is the Chicago, Illinois area, if we collectively came together and reduced Black infant mortality by 9%, the entire country would achieve equity or parity with respect to infant mortality across black and white infants. And that alarming statistic really uh, caused us to really lean into and utilize the access initiative and the enabling technology of having being able to use integrated data hub, 
where we're collecting data across the different social safety net systems from healthcare, our healthcare, our hospital system, mental health, our housing, our food assistance, economic assistance, uh, creating an integrated data hub where we pull uh, all the data across those systems together. And then we create a 360 uh, view client uh, record uh, that provides a 360 view of those individuals and the services that they're receiving um, to create coordinated care plans across those different systems. So we're holistically thinking about and addressing those needs in an integrated and stepwise approach. So I'm excited about that work. I am not a tech person. I'm a leader that values uh, technology and recognizes the value that it provides in enabling government programs to improve. Um, we you know, created the technology the data pipeline was de developed in the Azure uh, government cloud. Um, and I often joked when I was in Sonoma, right? No more resting APIs, right? Everybody's got to work with speed and agility. So I'm someone who is not versed. I don't come from a technology background, but I recognize the value proposition of utilizing technology to improve outcomes and address uh, the social safety net needs within local government. Okay. I absolutely love that because I am not a technology person either, which is the premise of the podcast is really around the human centric piece and believing that it starts with people first and then you can layer on technology. So there were a couple of things I heard that I really liked. Siloed systems was coming to mind. How have you tried? It looks like you've been successful in trying to change this, but I know for a lot of folks, I used to live in Chicago. So let's say Cook County or some of the other areas. Um, how are you, how do you go about as an executive director trying to collapse those siloed systems so that you can have the outcome of a 360 degree patient view? How do you go about that? Is that a struggle? Love to hear your thoughts around that. I think, right, everybody comes to the table with their mandated systems, whether the state mandates it or the federal government mandates, thou shalt collect data, thou shalt collect it in this way. So when we first started this initiative in Sonoma, it was really around the premise that our board of supervisors said, hey, go create new strategic priorities for the safety net. And so I recognized that we had shared populations and that none of us could achieve the outcomes we wanted to achieve. And it's the same thing in Harris County. It's the same value proposition that the jail is gonna to continue to run the largest mental health facility here in Harris County and in Sonoma County, if we do not create holistic and integrated systems to change that. I'm not going to be effective in my mental health outcomes if the individuals are experiencing homelessness and I do not address that head on and simultaneously while I'm addressing their mental health needs. I am not going to have healthy moms and babies unless I address some of the social economic factors around economic insecurity, food insecurity, mental health challenges. So the value proposition was there that we continue to work in our silos and expect to achieve these various outcomes, right? We're focused on outputs versus outcomes. How many services did you provide? But is anybody better off? And the answer was no. And so this model, everyone jumped on board because they recognized the jail is gonna continue to have the folks that are being criminalized for having mental health or substance use disorders, whereas really they needed to be part of the social safety net programming and interventions to address those issues versus criminal 
penalizing them because they've disrupt, had some public disruption. And so for me, I sold the value proposition of it's so important for us to get out of our swim lanes and to jump in the pool together and do synchronized swimming in order to achieve the outcomes that um, we want to see and to move beyond just collaboration, right? Collaboration without true integration really is just another form of fragmentation is what I've told my teams and what I've shared with my colleagues. And for us to have a unanimous approval of a resolution here in Harris County by our elected leadership on both sides of the aisle really speaks to the value proposition of not just getting people into the safety net, but getting them out of it to improve well-being and self-sufficiency while also reducing the cost and the burden of those of the systems that we've created on the populations we serve, and as well as some cost savings because we've reduced administrative duplication. Yeah, this is great. There, there are a few things. I love what you said about outputs versus outcomes. Actually focusing on the outcomes is so good. And I didn't want the audience to miss that. And then moving beyond collaboration to actually executing, actually getting something done, because I think, you, I mean, you nailed it. Like, you can collaborate and then nothing ends up getting done and the people who actually need the help the most still suffer unless you can actually uh, get the job done. So I, I love kind of how you framed that. On a related topic to that, which is really great, was the, and I saw Harris County was posting about this quite a bit a few months back, but the vector-borne illness. And this was something I wasn't aware of and so it came on my radar and then I started thinking about it, researching it a little bit. And then I was thinking the same thing, like, where's the intersection with technology on that? And, and so I was curious if you could share some examples of how you've been able to combat vector-borne illnesses in Harris County. Yeah, I am uh, really in awe and um, so glad to be working with such uh, thoughtful leadership um, in our mosquito vector control division. Um, they are just rock stars. Uh, Dr. Max is incredible. Um, we currently work in collaboration with the Microsoft Premonition Smart Traps throughout Harris County. And the Smart Traps provide us real-time data tracking to identify, to identify population dynamics in various vectors, mosquitoes, et cetera, using genome sequencing. And I'm so excited to be able to talk about this stuff and geek out on it, right? But it allows us to identify current and emerging species using artificial intelligence, which is really important because a lot of emerging diseases, West Nile virus, right, dengue fever, we have to have this technology to be able to identify those various species that are carriers of these diseases that have tremendous impacts on population, and in, in particular vulnerable populations throughout Harris County. The data that we collect is reported to the National Data Bank repository. So we're really excited to be leading the country in this way. Um, using our artificial intelligence technology to help us really identify the way that species morph and the diseases that they're carrying. Are there any other, oh, I'm sure there are, but just top of mind, I was curious, are there any other counties or cities that are facing a similar problem that you're collaborating with right now? Yeah, so we um, work uh, in regional partnerships. If you think about the tropical nature of the climate here in Houston, it's similar to uh, the climate in Louisiana. Sorry, I'm having to put my lights on. Technology. Speaking of technology, Louisiana, Florida, where we see a lot of vector-borne illnesses coming in through the, the tropical climate. So we're able to partner and share this information. That is the beauty of local government, our ability to transform and be nimble and share information and learn from other uh, communities and jurisdictions. No, that's great. That, and that makes a lot of sense. Fun fact. 
the audience, random. I was born in Louisiana. And then randomly, my wife was also born in Louisiana, and we met in California. So small world. Yeah, yeah, crazy. So on the technology front, I was curious around, what are some of the biggest challenges where you face having to integrate technology into public health initiatives? Now, I will say, listening to the, listening to you so far, it seems like you've been really successful and good at getting to the outcomes that you need in order to move this, but I'm sure you still face challenges. I'd love to hear how you overcame those roadblocks trying to get technology integrated into uh, across public health initiatives. Yeah, I think, right, during COVID, um, there were so many unknowns and so much information was needed to understand the populations, right? There was so much that we were trying to learn about COVID while at the same time trying to develop uh, at the same time solutions and strategies from mitigating the risk factors, right? Because in the beginning, we didn't have testing supplies, then we didn't have the interventions. And so really trying to utilize our data systems and create our COVID response platform here in Harris County that we utilize for our initial case management and surveillance technologies. Being able to, one, recognize technology is something that we actually have to have in order to have an effective response to this particular dynamic and very unknown emergency. So that was really critical and also raised and elevated the importance of technology infrastructure more broadly as it relates to utilizing data and data collection, et cetera. So that's one area where we were able to utilize technology. And similarly in Sonoma, we were able to use the technology from access to help us respond to the COVID response as well. And for me, that is the one that comes uh, top of mind. Um, and the challenges that we run across in terms of, right, the value proposition and the general public, whether that's elected leadership, understanding the value of technologies, needing to help them understand that if we're going to have a high quality response and mitigate and prevent death, we have to have the capability and the capacity to develop technology and utilize technology as part of the response and creating it, right, and having the space to be able to create it. No, that is absolutely fantastic. I was curious around, what advice would you give someone who would be interested in pursuing a career in public health? I never even thought about this when I was younger. And I'm sure a lot of younger folks haven't. What advice would you give for someone who's, wow, this actually looks pretty interesting. There's a lot you can touch from data platforms to the humans, the human-centric side of it. But curious, what advice would you give to folks looking to pursue a career in, in public health? Yeah, I definitely think that those that are interested in how technology enables government and in particular public health to really meet its mission of improving the health and well-being of populations, I think it's really important to understand and start with data and understand the importance of utilizing data and the technology that allows us to understand data to drive the goals and strategies that are put into place. And so I definitely think it all starts with data. I tell my bosses that it all begins with data, a data-driven approach, and you really can't do that without really good technology that allows you to understand the, understand the data as well as right where we're headed in terms of technology advancements, artificial intelligence, that there's an opportunity for us to lean in um, from the government side to understand the cautionary tales and some of the challenges, but to not be afraid of it and to lean in. And I just think the next 
uh, cohort of public health leaders are really going to have to be adept and equipped with understanding data and the technology that's behind it to drive how we respond to public health emergencies or how we try to address and prevent uh, poor health outcomes in communities. That's fantastic. I think as I'm wrap- as we're wrapping this up, I was thinking about so you came in right in the middle of COVID, right? It's like 2021, I think you were saying earlier. Uh, so I was curious, what are the trends, what are the, like, the emerging trends that you're looking at right now at the intersection of technology? You've talked a ton about data and AI. It's, I think, almost the end of 2023. How are you thinking about 2024? What does that kind of look like? Yeah, I think one of the the biggest areas of opportunity is standardizing, using technology to standardize data systems, right? COVID did not create health disparities that we saw. They magnified the disparities and not just around, oh yeah, poor health outcomes, but really, right, what were the causes of that? Lack of housing, poor people right on the front lines or jobs where the risk factors were greater, the comorbidities and conditions, asthma, hypertension, those types of chronic conditions that create greater risk of increased morbidity and mortality for uh, low-income populations that were disproportionately Black and Brown. And from that perspective, focusing on standardizing data systems for the social determinants of health would be an incredible gift to really advancing the work that we do around improving health outcomes. Because we know once someone hits a clinic, they hit the door of a hospital. We've really missed the opportunity to focus on good health. And we really have to go and focus on the social determinants of health. Right now, there's lack of standardization in how data is collected across the social determinants. And so it would be really, and some of the work we've done in Access is to expose that, right? Hey, we basically need the same stuff, but the way you collect it and talk about it, HUD, is not necessarily the same way that health and human services does. It's not the same way that criminal justice right, or other social determinant agencies that are responsible for mandating the collection of data. So that would be really helpful. Yeah, I was just thinking about this. There's a book called Power to the Public. Have you ever read that book by chance? But I'm going to know, please send me the information for it. I would love to I will. I will. There's a great story. I actually have one of the co-authors coming on. And during, I think it was during when they were rolling out the Affordable Care Act, maybe it was right afterward. And the author noted that when they were trying to standardize and get people the help that they needed, the applications and the forms ended up taking people an hour to fill out while they're sitting down in a hospital or a clinic. And the disconnect was from the people who were at the clinic to folks who were all the way high up in in, in the government. And it it was a rare scenario, but she talked about how I think it came all it came all the way to President Obama, where they started to figure out that the people at the top had such a disconnect, and so they ended up having some of the folks at the top fill out the forms themselves. And they started realizing that the hundred questions that they needed to ask didn't actually matter to the help that person needed. And so they were able to starting to streamline and cut down and figure out the right information. But I, it was one of the case studies that was talked about in the book about trying to leverage technology and really help turn the tide. Now, it's a big country, so there's a lot of programs and a lot of technology, but it was a really interesting book. So I'll, I'll email you over the details. I think you'd really like it. 
No, I mean, that's some of the foundational experience I had at the federal level. Uh, shout out to Don, Dr. Don Berwick, who was a recess appointment as the CMS administrator. And part of his frank, the triple aim, right? Are people better off? And if people aren't better off, why? And how have you designed, did you design squares when people need circles, right? Or maybe they need an oval, right? Between them in the middle, right? Something in between. And so really solutioning for the problems that we have. And so I've carried that notion of, are people better off? And if they're not, why? And what is in the way of helping us get people to optimal health and improved well-being and self-sufficiency? I can tell you, right? People don't want to be in the public safety net. Right. People want to have an opportunity to have success in their for their families. Right. To break generational poverty, to break generational bad health. And that question of are people better off? And if not, why really, I think, is foundational to understanding how do you not how do you know whether they are right? It begins with data and how to get data. You have to have the technology to get it. And if they're not better off, why not? And you need to be able to utilize technology to answer that question. Yeah, no, it's really great. And I think my, my my last kind of thought in our short period of time, I coach high school basketball and half the team is usually off pretty well. The other half need help. And I love the term holistic because some of the kids need housing. <laughs> some of the kids also need food and some of the ki- kids also need shoes to play in and a number of things so that they don't fall through the system and end up on the street where they shouldn't be. And a couple of times I've had to go pick up some kids and pull their butts to basketball practice to make sure they're hanging out in the right spot. But I love the holistic approach because I don't think you can, I don't think you can tackle such a large problem siloed. It just doesn't work. So I really like that, the approach that you're taking, Barbie. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing in the community. As someone who grew up as, as we call it, a public benefits baby, I appreciate Uh, the work and recognition that you do. Sports was a big part of my life and the opportunity to engage in sports has definitely shaped who I am as a person. And the recognition that those folks that are coming, that you're coaching and leading have a multitude of needs that are bigger than the sport, but the sport is so important to really help shape them and bringing the other services and interventions would be great for them as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And it's, it's a fun, it's a fun, it's a fun ride. Um, especially at one of the, the large public high schools here. And the kids are really great. And uh, it's such a great time to just meet them where they're at, I think is the big thing. I think even with when I think about homelessness, it's meeting them where they're at. And so I think a lot of times we try and pull people to where we want them to be, but stepping in their shoes is a really great first step. So that's why I really was looking forward to this interview and, and the work that, that you've been doing and uh, so many others in, in Houston and across the United States. Thank you for coming on the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. I know folks around the country are really going to appreciate this interview. And I always love when folks email me or send me messages. And I always love to see the the good work that, that people are doing. So thank you, Barbie. Thank you so much for having me on. Have a great day. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from techtables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders. Through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events, we offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves.